You're listening to the recordings from our weekend with Brad Jerzak. This is Saturday, session three. That all in all in all in all, that, that's, uh, that was one of the favorite phrases of the early church fathers and mothers. St. Macrina the Younger, the great sister and teacher of Basil the Great, and Gregory of Nyssa, the final editor of the Creed, and before them, Origen of Alexandria. Like on, they love this phrase, all in all, and where they get it from is 1 Corinthians 15. They didn't worry about their, their vision, their vision of how it all plays out didn't come from the book of Revelation. They were still debating on whether that should be in the Bible. But what they were sure about, what they were sure about is that our strongest telescope into the future is 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's, um, it's much further into the future, even the, the last chapter of Revelation, because at the end of Revelation, we're still seeing processes. We're still seeing nations coming into the city. We're seeing the nations being healed by the leaves in the trees in the city. We're seeing people still outside the city. And and there's movement and there's process. It's the age to come. It's the age of judgment. But 1 Corinthians 15 looks beyond the coming age to the end of the ages. And at the end of the ages, Paul says that Christ will bring every enemy under his feet, and there's not going to be any more enemies. And there's not going to be any more evil. And there's going to be an eradication of all all that which would oppose life in God. And when, when he's brought it all under his feet, when absolutely everything is summed up under him, that's Ephesians 1, everything, here's the plan of God, that everything, absolutely everything would be summed up in Christ. Because it was by him and for him and through him that all things were created. And so Christ gathers that up and he presents it to his father. And then Paul says, so that God would be all and in all in all, or how they used to they used to talk about it in those days, two hundreds, three hundreds, that would be God would be all and in all. So that's the end game, the restoration of all things. So that's nice. All in all in all in all. That's, that's our telos. That's the end game. That's the fulfillment of the plan of God. That, I think it might even work. Um, so what I want to do in this last little session is, um, is share some stories. Um, one from scripture and a few from my life and, and stuff I've been an eyewitness of. And we may have time for prayer exercise or some questions. We'll see how it rolls. So one of the things I've been noticing is that if Paul is right, and I think he is, that while we were enemies, we're already reconciled. If while we were sinners, we're already forgiven. If we're, while we're already powerless, he died for us, the already stuff. If that already was true of us, um, then maybe, maybe God's at work before our conversion. So think about it this way. Um, if you want to think about being born again or born from above as happening when you responded, I think that's fair. In fact, in the New Testament, they would, they would connect your response with 
the metaphor of birth. So in the old liturgies, they would talk about the breaking of the waters of your rebirth at baptism. I'm going to watch very closely as I ask this question. How many of you have experienced the breaking of the waters of birth? Let's see your hands. No, you haven't. <laughs> Only the women. <laughs> you were there. Okay. Okay. We've got the women and we got the guy with the mop. Okay. So, yeah. So the church thought about that. That the that when we respond, that there's we're in a sense born from above, and that baptism is like God's water breaking. And then as you come up out of the water, it's you. You're like too graphic to think about. Okay, so <laughs> at the same time, they didn't believe that you were conceived then. Did you, do you know that like the day your baby was born, that's not the day it was conceived? <laughs> when was that? Don't tell me. Get a room. When were we conceived? Well, that's one way to think of it. Maybe we were conceived before the foundation of the world, in the heart of God. I think that's fair. What it would, what, when else might we have been conceived? Oh, I know. If you had to go with Romans 5, when were you conceived? Death and resurrection, that weekend, the whole weekend. For Paul, the cross, when he says, I glory in nothing but the cross, it, he doesn't mean, I don't believe in the resurrection. When he says, I believe in Christ, I preach only Christ and him crucified, he doesn't mean, I don't believe in the resurrection. He means it's like one weekend event, the conquest of death through death and resurrection. So the cross is crucifixion and resurrection. And so... It seems to me in Romans 5, you would answer the question, when we were, were we conceived? That weekend. And so, so, so then how long are we in the womb? Like 2,000 years, I guess, at least, unless you go back to the foundation of the world. So, so we're gestating before, before our conversion, we're growing. God is nurture, nurturing something in us towards our birth. And that means when we meet people who have not yet responded to the good news of their reconciliation, we can also bet that the Holy Spirit's also been at work in them. And instead of trying to convince them that God hasn't been doing that, we watch for and midwife them through how he has been doing it and then bring it to completion. So I want to share that's an angle. It's not the only way to see it. But I see that happening in a couple places in scripture that are super important. Um, remember John chapter 1. That in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Let's carry on. We're going to read this fast. Word was God. Next verse. Ugh. He was in the beginning with God. Oh, that's better. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. It was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men and women. 
and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or other translations say overcome it. There was a man whose name was John. This man came for witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. This was the true light. We're going to stay on this first. This was the true light, slowing down, which gives light to every Christian coming into the church. No. This was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, the, it's ambiguous in Greek. The coming into the world could be referring to the light coming into the world or it could be to the every man coming into the world, but it means the same thing. It means that the light, this word, this word that created all things is a light that shines on everyone who is coming into the world, gives light to everyone. So this is good news because what it means is even before a conversion, even before we hear a witness tell us about the Lamb, John will do that later. Behold, the Lamb of God. Oh, so the witness tells us about the Lamb of God. And we need to hear that witness. But even before we have that witness, sometimes years before, we may have already been hearing the word and seeing the light and even responding to it and growing, gestating, preparing us for the day when a witness comes and says, by the way, that light you've been seeing, that word you've been hearing, who's also embodied as a man who died on a cross for you. And they're like, oh, that too? It's the added value. So I want to share a, a, a Bible story that illustrates this. It's the story of Cornelius. So in the story of Cornelius, we have a man who's a Roman soldier, a Gentile. And we read that he's a God-fearer. He's devout. That means he's faithful. He doesn't know Christ. He's not a Christian. But he's devout and he prays. And he prays a lot. He prays continually. And in the story of Cornelius, the Lord hears his prayers. I guess he's like praying to a higher power. I don't know if he thought God was Jupiter or maybe he suspected it was Yahweh. Because we see that the Jews seem to like this guy. Maybe he was kind to them. Maybe he was just to them. Maybe he was fair. And so we read, that, we read that he's a devout man who prays continually. He's also generous. He loves to give to the poor. And the Lord notices. And one day an angel comes to Cornelius and he said, An angel? Any of you have angelic visitations? Statistically, some of you have. I haven't. Maybe. This is a weird story. i got to tell you, it's just funny. So I got this Roman Catholic cousin who got, gets obsessed with angels. I'm like, I don't care about that. I care about Jesus. He's like, yeah, but you should know your guardian angel's name. I, like, I, don't, I totally don't care. It's like, I don't even know about that. It's like, no, I think you should know. I'm like, no, I, I don't. I, I really just care about Jesus. But she knows how to manipulate me. So she said, but if Jesus told you, you'd care, right? I'm like, <laughs> she goes, she goes ask, ask Jesus the name of your guardian angel. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, no, go ahead and ask him. Don't you, if Jesus tells you, will you listen? Okay. She says, ask him what your guardian's angel. So I'm like, okay, what, Jesus, what's my guardian angel's name? And the word Abigail comes in my head. I'm like, see, proof. I'm not, like, 
We're just making stuff up now. Because I wouldn't have a guardian angel named Abigail. But I don't tell her that. I'm just not telling her anything. And she says, what did he say? I'm like, I'm not telling you. And she goes, it's Abigail, isn't it? <laughs> so Abigail comes to Cornelius. And Abigail tells Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. And he's seen your almsgiving. And he has some good news for you. But I'm not telling you what it is. You're going to have to go to a man named Peter, and he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house at such and such a place. Do you realize that like, you've got a non-Christian having an angelic visitation and getting a word of knowledge that includes names and addresses? Wow. He's having a, an authentic spiritual experience, and he's got what God regards as... Um, righteous faith practices. His prayers and his almsgiving have come up to God, and what Cornelius finds out is that he is acceptable to God. A non-Christian who's acceptable to God? Wow. That's pretty good. And so he's told, and he's, and he's supposed to send his servants, and they're going to go get this guy named Peter. Meanwhile, Peter, you know the story, but I'll tell it anyway. So Peter's back at at uh, Simon's house, and he's he's up on the roof, and and then like he he does a very very like he's he, very non-Baptist thing. He has a trance, New Age. It's a trance. It says it. It's a trance. He goes into a trance, and he sees he sees a sheet coming down out of the sky three times. And it's got all sorts of creepy things in it, like reptiles and stuff, and like unclean, specifically unclean things under the law. And the Lord says to him, Peter, kill and eat. And the word kill there isn't just like kill it and eat it. It's, it's, it's connected with the word for sacrifice it. You're only supposed to sacrifice like lambs or bullocks. It's like sacrifice. Sacrifice a reptile to me. Sacrifice like something from Australia. <laughs> Ooh. And, and then eat it. And he's like, no, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord. By the way, he never does eat it. That's kind of painful. He denies Jesus three times. I'm pretty sure he picks up on that. It's like, done this before. Ouch. But then uh, after the third time, they hear the knock on the door. Just then, it says, it's one of these divine coincidences. Just then, there's a knock on the door. It's these guys. And they're like, come on over. And so... Um, Peter ends up going with them, and he enters their home, and that's like a total no-no for Jews. Entering their home would make him unclean. Eating with them would be like taking them to the altar in the temple. That's a total no-no. Now, we should have known better by then, but they didn't. Um, the Christians were still practicing exclusion. They still thought there were unclean people in the world. And in the story, the, the punchline is God says, don't call unclean anybody. Anybody. They're acceptable, and I've already made them clean. Hang on, he's not a Christian yet. I thought you only get clean when you get converted. When did he get clean? Romans 5. The cross. 
He's already been made clean at the cross. Is that possible? Let me just double check my Bible. So we're going to look at some specific verses here just to review how, how much work the Holy Spirit had already done in the womb. In, in Cornelius' gestation. So I don't know if you'll be able to keep up with me here, but it's so Acts 10 verse 2. He and all his family were devout. That means faithful and God-fearing. He feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Verse 4. The angel says, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Here's a Gentile offering something that God receives as a sacrifice. I'm going to slide down. Verse 15. Verse 15. A voice spoke to him again a second time. This is from heaven to Peter. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. You don't get to call anybody unclean anymore because God has cleansed them before they're Christians. <gasps> cool. Verse 22. One who, this is Cornelius Centurion, a just man. Oh, that's tricky. Greek word, righteous. And just, same word in every language except English. A righteous man, a just man, one who's been made right. One who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. Divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you. This is awesome. Cornelius like, God told me, you're supposed to tell me the good news. Tell me yourself. No, no, I want Peter to do it. Why? Because who needs to get converted? Peter does. He's going to have a conversion, all right. Verse 28. Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay. We may not get the whole point of this passage, but could I suggest... Never do that again. Above our pay grade. To call anyone common or unclean. Another way to translate this is impure or unclean. God says, never do that again. Wow. Verse 31. God, uh, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Does this mean that someone who's not a Christian who prays that God hears their prayers? Do you think that someone who prays and they're not a Christian, that they're praying to nobody? Who are they praying to? God. How many gods are there? One. One. When a pro Muslim prays, which God hears them? 
Or does he just hear Cornelius' prayer, but he can't hear Muslim prayers? When a Hindu prays, how many gods are up there listening? Like there's one. Could God hear a Hindu's prayer, even if the Hindus got the name wrong? Of course. What's our, what's our proof text for that? Cornelius. He doesn't know Jesus. He's praying to some God that he fears. And the one God in heaven who's listening hears him. And he says, oh, yes, I can hear him. Why can he hear him? Because Jesus died for him. Because Jesus has reconciled him to God. When he prays, he might be very confused. In fact, Paul really goes far on that. I mean, total heretic. He even tells the, the in, in Athens, it's like, oh, yeah, when you prayed to the unknown God idol there, God heard you then, too. You don't know about him, do you? But he heard you. That's pushing it. So he's heard your prayer. Okay, 33. So this is Cornelius talking. So I sent for you immediately. It was good for you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What had the Lord commanded them? What did he said to people? Don't call anybody unclean. That I've made, have made clean. How did he make us clean? By his blood. When did he do that? When you were converted. No. When he shed his blood. Verse 35. Uh, let's go 34. Sorry. 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Next verse. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Does that mean that a righteous acting person from another nation who's not a Christian yet is acceptable to God? It's what it says. It's what it says. He's not converted yet. But he's also a, already a righteous man. And he fears God. He, and he's accepted by him. So my evangelical mind goes, yeah, but what if he got in a chariot accident on his way to Peter's house? Or what if the... Like, so we're always like, would he go to heaven or hell if he... What's it say? He's already been made clean. He's already declared righteous. And he's already acceptable to God. That's pretty good. What have you got in a chariot accident? I don't know. So what I love about Peter is that he sees all of this, and here's, his, here's what he did not conclude. Peter did not conclude, therefore, he doesn't need to hear about Jesus. He does not conclude that. What he hears is, therefore, he is ready to be born. Wow, look how big this baby is. By the time Peter gets to his house, the gods dilated 10 centimeters. <laughs> this guy's crowning right in front of him. <laughs> Quick, get the water. 
No, so Peter, Peter looks at this guy who's already clean, already righteous, and already acceptable and says, you need to hear about Jesus. Why would he say that? And it, the sermon he preaches is awesome. In fact, I think we better preach it. <laughs> Peter began to speak. This is 34. I'll just read it. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, accepts every, uh, from every nation anyone who fears him, does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Actually, he didn't. That's what God wanted Peter to share. Who's the Lord of all. That's neat. Who's the Lord of? Oh, Cornelius didn't know that. Now he knows it. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached? No, he didn't. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he ran around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses. Ah, so here's the John the Baptist moment. We're the witness who says, the word you've heard and the light you've seen also came as a lamb. And we're witnesses of this lamb. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country and the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on the cross. So God would appease his wrath. No, but God raised him from the dead. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, uh, testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. They haven't converted yet. Well, they haven't, but the Spirit has. The Spirit is converting them while they're listening. The circumcised believers who come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Still haven't been baptized. God is just getting the order all wrong. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Spirit already, just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. So what's happened here? We have a man who's already righteous, clean, and acceptable before God, who is ready now to hear the good news that the light he has seen and the word he has heard also came as a lamb to die for him. And when he hears this message, there's an outpouring of the Spirit, and there's definitely an added value. And that Spirit enters those Gentiles, and it's the Spirit of sonship and daughterhood that now indwells them. And from the inside, from the inside, cries out, Abba, I no longer fear God. Now I love him. This is no longer the great God in unapproachable light in the sky. This is my intimate Abba who's come close and he's in me now. That's awesome. That's, 
That's why John Wesley, when he came to North America and preached to the Native American Indians and Canadian First Nations, encountered people who knew God. He said, they know God. They pray to the Creator God, and that's our Creator. They know Him. And when they pray, that God hears them and answers. And those among them who live righteous lives, their righteousness is acceptable to him. So then Wesley says this, so why do I tell them about Jesus? Maybe a modern progressive would say, you don't need to. That's colonizing. But John Wesley preached them because he wants them for two reasons, and he tells us what the reasons are. One is he wants them to know their full inheritance. And he wants them to have their full assurance. What is their full inheritance? That they don't need to be afraid of God, that they can love this God because that God loves them, and they never need to offer another sacrifice again. In pagan lands, like the hardcore thing, they never need to offer their children again. They never need to offer their cow again or their lamb again, except maybe as a barbecue, hospitality meal. Right? Or maybe if they're vegan, I don't know, like, what would you... You're allowed to... Mushrooms. And so, like, your mushrooms would be acceptable as hospitality gifts. Right? But so, so he wants them to know their full inheritance that includes forgiveness of sin, freedom from the fear of death, power to live a new life, fullness of life, intimacy with Abba. Oh, that's a good inheritance. And to have assurance of it, that you don't have to guess anymore. Did I do enough? Did I sacrifice enough? Did I get it close enough? Did I believe the right thing? No, you don't need to ever worry about that. Jesus has come, and here's his spirit. It's a spirit of that is your seal. You've been sealed now, so you, you can just let that stuff go. And, uh, and so... I want to tell you a few stories I've seen about this that are really fun. So I'm going to share stories about people who are encountering the light and hearing the word before they're converted, and then a witness gets to come and say, oh, by the way, there's a lamb. The, the light and the word were embodied for you. I just need to check because I don't want to be redundant. Did I, did I tell the story the other day of the the drug addict woman who made it, came to make amends with me. Okay, that was in New Zealand. I'll tell you about her. It's a, it's a good example. So I have a friend who's a 12-step sponsor, and she works with drug addicts. And um, this sponsor of mine, I, I met her when she was probably 17 years sober already from a tequila addiction, but she was an angry woman. And she believed in a higher power, prayed to the higher power every day, and was being transformed enough to be freed from her alcoholism. But when I met her, she was still angry. And I got to be the witness that said, the higher power of you been praying to has heard your prayers and wants you to know that he became flesh to endure what you've suffered. And uh, she almost punched my head off. <laughs> but she also couldn't escape the good news and gave her life to the care of Jesus Christ, right? So now she calls me. It's 10 years later. 
And she says, I've got a drug addict. And um, she's been sober about a year and a half, but she's working through the program. She needs to make her amends. That's when you go apologize to those you've harmed. And she feels like she needs to make amends to a pastor. I'm like, I haven't been a pastor for 10 years, thank God. And um, she said, well, that you'll do. And I said, okay. So I meet her at a Tim Horton's coffee shop. That's the quintessential Canadian coffee shop. Not very good coffee. Um, but I meet her there, and, and yeah, it's this like quite a haggard-looking woman. You can tell like she had 10 years added to her skin from drug abuse. And um, she said, yeah, I need to make amends to a, to a Christian pastor because I have judged the church without knowing what you believe. And so she makes her amends, and I'm like, you know, it feels to me like maybe that's, that, that's not thorough enough. I think maybe you need to tell me why you hated us, why you resented us. And she says, well, when I was a little girl, the only Christians I knew were next door, and they had children, and they always treated us less than human. It was so condescending, and they acted like we were unclean. Hmm. And then um, she said, and the only other connection I had with them is those children did take me to the church one time for a kids' program, and the janitor molested me. Like, well, excuse you if you're resentful. Jeez. That's her whole picture of Christianity. That's like Hagar having Abraham as her whole picture of Yahweh, the guy who came to her tent, like she volunteered or something. You know, and so I'm like, oh, I have to make amends to you. So I, 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 I did what we call identificational repentance as as a representative of the church, I repent of what we did to you. That was not, that was evil. Evil. I'm so sorry. And it should have never, ever happened. It's like, okay. <laughs> and so then um, I said, well, you've been how long in the program? And it was a long time. I said, so you must have, had, you must have a higher power. Like, I know you're not a Christian. You, know, you don't know what Christians believe, but you probably had a higher power. Oh, yes, I have a higher power. I'm like, tell me about that. She said, well, on one of my overdoses when I died, um, you know, the paramedics brought me back. And she said, I, re I distinctly remember one day when I... When, when I had overdosed, I could see my body. I'm drifting away from my body. And as I'm leaving my body, I turn, and there's a pure white light. Maybe John would call it the true light that comes into the world and enlightens everyone. She sees the, the pure light, and she reaches for it. And she said, when I reached for the pure light, the pure light reached for me and entered me. And it's been there ever since. Really? Where? In my heart? For how long? Ten years. Like, wow, you've known the pure light for ten years? Oh, yes. I said, do you, do you talk to the pure light? Oh, yes, every day, every, every day, for 45 minutes. I don't do that. <laughs> and she says, I, I actually kneel down and I, I pray to the pure light. I said, does it speak to you? Oh, yes. So, so you've heard the word of the pure light. Oh, yes. What does it say? I love you. You're my child. I forgive you. And on and on. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I know that word. And I said, um, 
I feel like I feel like I should tell you about what Christians believe, what we really believe. Can I do that? She goes, I need to pee. <laughs> so I think what she did is she went to the, the, the bathroom to like brace herself for the talk, right? She comes back and I, I said, so, so the light you've already heard, I don't, I, the, I mean, the light you've already known, the word you've already heard, the prayer light, that's wonderful. And now maybe, maybe God has been waiting to tell you that that light and that word also came into this world to suffer what you've suffered. And maybe to show us what he thinks and how he treats women like you. He said, can I tell you two stories from the Bible? He's like, mm, okay. So I told her the story of the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. And I said, when the true light and the true word came into this world and were embodied in a man, that's how we treated them. And that's what Christians believe. It's like, oh, okay. And guess what we didn't do then? We didn't pray the prayer. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't close the deal. I'm going to leave her for my friend Robin. But what if she gets in a chariot accident on the way to Robin? She has already said yes to the light. And guess who the light is? Christ. She said yes to Christ, the light of the world, before she even knew the that he was a lamb too. Does that count? Then there's Stanley. We'll put, put, we'll put up Stanley. So Stanley comes to my friend Esther. Esther works in, um, in so, social work. And one day she gets to this office where she's not allowed to talk about Jesus. But when she gets there, she just likes to care for people and to show the light and to be the word and express the love of Christ. And she does. She gets there and she hears wailing in the basement and it's Stanley. Stanley's wailing because he's despaired of his life and in fact the night before he had cut his own throat. Stanley did that because he believed deep down in the mantra he used every day. I am a lone wolf and a black sheep and there's no place for me in this world. And he said that all the time. Until he believed it, that kind of darkness led him to cut his own throat. He survived it. They stitched him up and sent him out, which just seems crazy to me. And now he's back at the social work office, and he's wailing. And they say, Esther, can you go sit with him? Esther's a sweet woman from Northern Ireland. Oh, Stanley, what's wrong? And um, so she just sits with him and weeps with him. She co-suffers. Jesus showed us that God is co-suffering love. And as he is, so are we in this world. And so she co-suffers with him for 45 minutes until he can breathe enough to talk. And she says, Stanley, what happened? And he said, I'm a lone wolf and a black sheep, and there's no place for me in this world. And she said, oh, Stanley, that's the darkness. And then she gets it in her head, like, what could I say if I can't talk about Jesus? Ah, Stanley, can you see the light anywhere in this room? No. She says, Stanley, look in your heart. Can you see the light anywhere in your heart? No. Now she's panicking. <laughs> that should have worked. <laughs> and then she goes, Stanley, look in my eyes. 
Can you see the light in my eyes? Yeah. What's the light saying? And he listens to the light. And the light says, you're a good person with a kind heart. And you're worthy of love and belonging. And Esther says, oh, Stanley, that's the light. We should write that down. So he takes a pen, and then they get a pen and paper, and he writes down, I'm a lone wolf and a black sheep, and there's no place for me in this world. She says, oh, Stanley, that's the darkness. It tried to kill you. Do you think we could burn those words? So he gets out his lighter. They risk setting off the fire alarm. And, and they watch those words burn up in ashes and smoke. And then get another piece of paper. Now, Stanley, what did the light say? I'm a good person with a kind heart, and I'm worthy of love and belonging. He's so funny when he talks, because he's kind of almost has a speech impediment. And so it comes out as, and I'm worthy of love and baloney. So <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he writes that down. And, and she says, how does that feel to listen to the light? Oh, I feel better. So he, um, he leaves, comes back the next day. And she says, Stanley, who are you? And he says, I'm a lone wolf and a black sheep, and there's no place for me in this world. Stanley, that's not what the light said. What did the light say? Oh, yeah. I'm a good person with a kind heart, and I'm worthy of love and belonging. Baloney. And she said, that's right, Stanley. And she keeps working with them. It took several weeks, but eventually the darkness was driven out. The true light came, that came into the world that enlightens every man and woman overcame the darkness in him. Stanley doesn't know yet that the light and the, that he's seen and the word that he's heard is the lamb that died for him. We'll get to it. What if he's in a chariot accident? <laughs> well, we're testing that. He goes to work. He gets a job. This is partly why he's there. Can't get a job. But now the light begins transforming his actual life. And he's offered a job. And at his job, he starts to meet friends. And he's so excited. He's like, guess what happened to me at work? I made some friends. And when they saw my name on the work roster, on the schedule, they gave me a fist bump. And one of them said, Stanley, can I spend time with you? Not at work, outside work on our personal time. And when, and when he gets a bicycle, we're going to go on a bike ride together. Well, I start telling this to friends of mine in Denver, and they're so moved. They're like, let's buy them bikes. <laughs> and they did. So here's Stanley. He's got no clue. And suddenly, there's two, like, $1,000 bikes that have been delivered by total strangers who are moved by the light and by the word to act on it and to embody what the Lamb would have for him. And they're, like, he's, he just can't even believe it. And, like, Esther's like, that's what the light did for you. What do you think, Stanley? Do you, I love the light. But it won't count till he knows his name is Jesus? No. It counts now. He said yes to Christ, the light of the world. And when in the fullness of time, the water will break. And Stanley, 
Stanley will go even to another layer where he knows the indwelling Abba, intimacy. Um, another example. Anything else about that one? No. Um, so, so I know I know a woman who uh, ten years ago learned how to hear the voice of God, and now goes out and everywhere she goes, she always invite, invites God to go with her. And she says, I feel God beside me all the time when I go out. And I pray to God, and I listen to God, and I hear God's voice, and I do what he says. That's pretty good. Are you a Christian? Oh, no. Okay. And um, so I've known her long enough that I'm like, you know you can meet God in, in your heart? It's like, what do you mean? Like, well, if you could meet God anywhere at all for one-on-one, -on -one, where would you meet him? She says, oh, I'd meet him in a... I'd meet him in my happy place. I'm like, what's your happy place? She said, well, it's a meadow with, surrounded by trees. He says, I always go there. She says, I always go there to try to find inner peace, but it's never worked. I'm like, I know why. Because you've got a place, but you need the person there. If God were to come to you there, how would he come to you? And she says, oh, uh, he would come as an old and caring mentor. And I'm like, okay. Why don't you invite him? She goes, okay. God, would you come here? And she's like, oh, he's sitting beside me. I'm like, how close? Close enough to lean on him? She goes, uh, yeah. I said, do it. She goes, <gasps> I'm like, what? She goes, inner peace. Never felt that before. So she begins a relationship with God. Um, but I wanted her to know Jesus. And I'm kind of getting on God's case about this. It's like, look, I'm doing my part here, okay? She ends up writing um, or calling or something, and she says, uh, hey, have you ever read uh, any Anne Rice books? She's the vampire novelist. I'm like, oh, yeah. She said, I found one called Christ the Lord. And I'm like, oh, I've read that. That's a good book. And she goes, do you think God is like that? I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh, I could believe in that kind of God. And then, but she still didn't want to follow Jesus. And I'm like, okay, um, God, what should I do? Get her the shack. So I get her a copy of the shack. She reads the shack. She really liked the shack. And then I said, you know, you have your meeting place, your safe place, your happy place with God. But for Paul Young, the shack is his happy place. And you could borrow it. She goes, you can do that? I'm like, I use yours all the time. She's like, you don't. <laughs> totally not invited, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, if you were at the shack and, and you were out, of, where would you be at the shack? Oh, I'd be on the porch. I'm like, and who comes to you on the porch? The carpenter. <gasps> Jesus. So she starts getting to know the carpenter, and one day she calls and she goes, hey, um, I got another safe place. I'm like, without my permission? She's like, do I need it? I'm like, of course not. I'm just I'm pulling your leg here. Come on. So tell me about it. She goes, well, it's a healing rock. Oh, that's good. And what do you do there? Well, Jesus gave me a healing rock. And there's a waterfall by it with a pool. And when I need healing, he calls me there. I'm like, you should do that. She goes, I did. I'm like, what did he do? He laid hands on my stomach and healed my ulcer. I'm like, literally? Literally. Is that allowed? She's not a Christian. She's a Jesus-following non-Christian who prays and listens, and Jesus comes and touches her.
So I guess that's okay. And so, um, but we, ha we keep battling about this Jesus thing. She, I'm like, she's like, but you're not one of these Jesus-only guys, are you? It's like, I kind of am. I Let me put it this way. I think the reason you hear God so easily is only because of Jesus. She doesn't know if that's right. Like, but you do know it's like Jesus who came and healed you. Oh, yeah, I know that. You are stubborn. So she's like, well, but what difference does it make? Why can't it be Krishna or Buddha? I'm like, well, here's the thing. You know God, and a lot of people know God. Cornelius knew God. Would you say that's true? Cornelius knew God? But when Jesus comes, we come to know God in a new way, a deeper way, a more intimate way from the inside as Abba. And she's like, oh, and what's that like? So I said, well, when you're doing yoga next time, instead of using your Buddhist mantra, why not try using Abba? Pray, that's Jesus' name for his father. That's how he relates to God. It's very intimate. You should try it. And she's like, okay, I will. And then I said, I can't wait. Do it now. <laughs> so she's standing there, and she hold the mic for me for a sec. As I, yeah, she goes. She she holds up her hands like this, or this, or however they do it, and then she goes, Abba, 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 and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and she says. That was so weird. I'm like, what was weird? She says, for 10 years, I've been walking with God, and I knew he was with me all the time, right beside me. But when I said Abba, he was inside me. And I felt my chest open up and my heart open up, and I had total access. I'm like, well, that's good. You should do that more often. And she goes, uh, every day. <laughs> I'm like, so she's still not sure about the Jesus thing. It's like, let's just review this. <laughs> Jesus comes to you and he heals your body. He comes and he reveals Abba and you're not sure. Like, oh, whatever. Hope she doesn't get in a chariot accident. <laughs> you catching my drift? So the true light who's come into the world, the true word, who speaks to everyone, is gestating people towards a moment where they also encounter him as the lamb slain, risen, and glorified who wants to reveal Abba to them. And some of them are, and they're, but they're not sure about becoming Christians. <laughs> like, whatever. Maybe, maybe it's bigger than that. But whatever it is, it's about following Jesus into intimacy with Abba. It's probably not about joining my club. So I got a million of these. A lot of them are in my book, In. It's a little book, In, called Incarnation and Inclusion, Abba and Lamb. Here's my point with it. There's a dilemma we've run into. There are people who really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. I'm one of those. I really, really believe in that. But many who believe in that have made him exclusive. And that he's the only way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, most people are going to die and go to hell. There's other people who have come to see Abba's all-inclusive love. 
that the, that the love of God is higher, wider, longer, and deeper than you can ask or imagine or get your head around. It includes everybody. But many of those who've come to believe in the all-inclusive love of Abba do so at the expense of Jesus. And they're like, maybe we don't need to talk about Jesus so much. Maybe we could just make him marginal, maybe even optional. Maybe it doesn't even matter if he came. I'm like, no. That's like me learning to drive in a, Olds, a 1968 Oldsmobile, and I'm oversteering from one ditch to the other. My poor dad, he's trying to teach me to drive on a freeway with a sloppy Oldsmobile. And he's like, look out the ditch. I'm like, ah, the other ditch. And we're like swerving down the road. There's cars coming. And that, but that's what we do. It's like, oh, I go from like Jesus-only exclusivism to uh, Abba inclusivism sans Jesus. I'm like, don't do that. What does Peter do? Peter, Peter sees that the all-inclusive love of Abba leads to a revelation of Jesus. And that the revelation of Jesus leads to a revelation of the Abba inclusive love. And so my own experience now, my conviction is, the higher our view of Jesus, the wider you see his arms to be. And so in the early church, they would preach about this, that the cross is a picture of Ephesians 3. I kneel, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom how every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray, and he goes on, but let's, um, let, well, no, let's not just make it up. Let's go to Ephesians 3. Next paragraph. Next paragraph. Next paragraph. Next paragraph. This is chapter 3, right? Yep, here he is. He's praying that according to riches of glory, that we'd be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height, to know the love of God which passes knowledge. So the love of God passes knowledge. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's bigger than you can comprehend. It's bigger than you can conceive. How much bigger? Higher, wider, deeper, and longer than you'll ever get. You may glimpse it if you get the power of the Holy Spirit, but it will always be more. So they would talk about the cross being this picture, higher. How is the love of God higher? The, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy to those, even those who fear him. As wide, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As deep, how deep? All the way to the bottom of Hades where he picks up Adam and Eve and you and me. How long? Forever. Forever. His loving kindness endures forever. Duration, right? And so whatever conception you have of God, here's the good news. His love is bigger than that. If today you heard about a love that is higher, wider, deeper, and longer than you had expected, uh, A, don't dismiss it too easily, because Ephesians 3 says it's going to be bigger than that. If you're convinced by anything I've said today, remember what I've said today is very small compared to that. 
and that 10 years from now, I hope to look back on this day and think, what a pathetically small view of love Brad had. And that um, those who say that I believe in the God is love heresy and that I overemphasize love have not seen the beginnings of infinite. His love is infinite. Infinite love cannot be overemphasized, but I dare you to try. And so when you compare theology, we always need to be kind of upgrading how we see God. If, if you can see God, this, his love this big, and you can see it this big, Ephesians 3 requires you to embrace the bigger view, the wider view, because it'll be wider than that. Does that make sense? I feel like, uh, wouldn't it be awful to talk about the love of God that's so accessible to all, and then not access it. So we're going to do a prayer exercise now. Um, I call this one the pearly gates exercise. Some of you have done it maybe. So the pearly gates exercise is this. Um, um, John 16, Jesus says that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to, among other things, show us what is to come. He actually says that. You don't need to go to a fortune teller. You can just ask the Holy Spirit, what's coming? So the thing I'm going to ask him, I'm going to say, um, would you give us a preview of that moment when we meet you face to face? When we come up to the gates of the kingdom of heaven, the open gates where you are welcomed in, and Christ himself will meet you there. And we're going to ask him for a preview of that just because I know he likes to do it. And that it will encourage you. And it will specifically encourage you to see how wide and long and high and deep and welcoming and inclusive his love is for you. And that can be really joyful. Um, and so I'm just going to lead you through a, a little list of questions that take us there. Uh, so let's pray. So, uh, Father in heaven, we thank you that through your son we will one day come to the open gates of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you that one day we will see you face to face. We thank you that one day you will welcome us to your Father's house. And um, for the sake of joy and encouragement and strength in our inner being, we ask that the Holy Spirit would give, you, give us a preview of that moment. So in your hearts, just race ahead if you want to, but if you want to walk my pace in your hearts, first of all, behold, that means look with the eyes of your heart on purpose. Behold, look with the eyes of your heart on purpose at the gate. And I won't be too suggestive except to say that it's open. Gates of the city will never be shut. And um, you're allowed to use your sanctified imagination to think about how big that gate is, how tall that gate is, what it's made out of, all those things. What, what is the pathway like that leads up to the gate? And instead of watching it like a movie, just step into it. Enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we step into that, and as we approach the gates, um, I'm going to ask the Lord, um, Lord, how do you want to greet us? How do you want to greet my brothers and sisters? 
What would that look like for you to welcome them on that day? Now, not everyone's wired for this. Maybe you're not very visual, but we, you can do it hypothetically. Well, if you could see it, what would that look like? If he were there, how would he welcome you? And as best you can, um, take note of how he welcomes you and then respond to it. So let's say if he's running to you, run to him. If he's opening his arms to you, fall into those arms. If he picks you up and spins her around, just say, wee, <laughs> be the kid. If you could see his face in that moment, he's been waiting there your whole life or longer. What expression would you see in his face first? The one who made you, the one who died for you, the one who is saving you, the one who's waiting for you, and then he gets to see you. Maybe the expression on his face could tell you something about who you are. If you're able uh, to look in his eyes, what are his eyes saying to you? You know how eyes can talk, right? How eyes can show, say, I'm angry, or I'm afraid, or I'm surprised, or I love you. What do, what do his eyes say to you? Remember Steph? His eyes said, I know and I care. But what do his eyes say to you in, in this moment? Just let that sink in. Because it's the good news. It's the gospel tailor-made for you. Your deepest needs, your deepest wounds. The message in his eyes is the gospel. All right, he's been waiting for hours or maybe centuries or millennia thinking about what's the first thing I would say to them. So let's ask him. Jesus, what's the first thing you're going to say to me when I meet you face to face? And just see what thoughts come. We don't have to say, God told me. Like we ask him, what thoughts come? Could I have a few of you just speak out the first thing that came to mind? Nice and loud. Well done. Good. I'm so pleased you're here. Yep, that's him. What else? I'm proud of you. Yes, he is. What else? I love you. <laughs> I like you. Ooh, see, he has to love you because he's love. He doesn't have to like you, but he does. You're likable. Deal with it. What else? Finally. What's that mean? It's like he's been waiting. Longing. It's longing. Him longing for you. What else? I've been waiting. Yeah. Anything else? Say, welcome home. Welcome home. Yeah.
Hi, bro. He is not ashamed. This is in the Bible. He is not ashamed to call you bro. Yeah. What's happening in your heart when you hear that? Yeah. Let it come. Just let that sink way deep. You needed to hear that today. Here's the amazing thing. I, it's not that I meant to deceive you. It's, it's just like he's not going to say that someday. He just said it today. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not out there. The kingdom of God is in our midst right now. The kingdom of God is within you. And the king is there. And the hug you got is a today hug. And the bro is a today bro. And the I'm proud of you is a right now I'm proud of you. And the I love you and I like you are in this moment as you are. What if that's your identity? Whoa. What if he felt like that about you the whole time? Well, freely you've received, freely give. I wonder who's out there gestating right now who could handle an encounter like that that might be good news to them for the first time. Wonder who your Stanley is. I wonder who your Abba Yogi is. All of that stuff. Um, we're gonna go in about five minutes. Is there any closing questions or what? I feel like it's not about question time. We don't want to go back into our heads. Could I have? Could we do five minutes of just? What, what, what did you just experience now? Like you're having an allergic reaction here. There's pollen in the room. What, you're sniffling a little, but maybe. Oh, I just love doing things like that, I guess, because I just feel like I encounter God. And he's always <laughs> proud of me. He's proud of you. Yeah. And in the world where you can often feel like I'm not enough, I feel enough in that moment. And it touches me. You're enough. Let's face it, we're all just toddlers with crayons, doing our best to draw a daddy. And then he takes our little picture and he puts it on his fridge. He's like, I'm so proud of you. And you're like, I was outside the lines. Oh, it's, like, oh. it's okay. <laughs> Anybody else? What, can you tell us what happened? What did you see? Um, um, I don't know, this is, I probably did it wrong, but. <laughs> no, okay, so. Kind of so, my father passed away three weeks ago, and he wasn't a Christian, and so it's been in my thoughts a lot listening to you today. So when I did it, it was all good, like God was there, but then God had His arm, and He was like, "Look, here's your dad. <laughs> He's, you know, I love. See, I loved him too. It was, yeah. I, that's the best way I can describe it. What, what if that's <laughs> true? What if it is? Mm. What if So your dad wasn't a Christian, and then he meets Jesus. He's like, whoa, you're Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you died. There's nothing I can do. And then they both laugh their heads off. He's like, are you kidding? I'm the Lord of life. I trampled down death. Welcome home, son. So I'm your son? 
That makes me want to follow Jesus, not say, oh, I don't need to follow Jesus then. You see? Hmm. Anybody else have an experience that they want to share? Yeah. Uh, when we were looking at the gate, to start with, I was on a hill away from the gates, and um, I was just looking at it, and then when you were like, Let, let's and I was like, hang on a minute. I think we lost hope. I allowed myself to step to the gate and it was opened. And when I walked in, I just, I couldn't go any further. I just stood at the edge and it was almost like a glass, um, like over the top of it. And it was just all these kids just having fun. And God said, don't be afraid. And for me, one of my biggest fears of God coming like Jesus coming back is that I don't know what will happen with my relationship with my kids. And it was just God showing me that we're all together. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Clap for her if you like. I mean, that's Jesus, right? Oh. Did you notice know perfect love drives out fear? One more. So when you talked about uh, coming to the gate, I felt very afraid. I didn't want to come to the gate because you've been blowing my mind about what I thought I was going to see. Maybe I wouldn't be seeing that anymore. And so I was standing on the road not wanting to come up to the gate, so Jesus came out to the road to me, and that felt very comfortable. I have met Jesus um, and the Father and the Holy Spirit many times, so that was not, a f that was not the frightening part. It was what the city was going to look like inside. Um, and then as we're on the road, um, the Father and the Holy Spirit were standing at the gate yelling at us saying, what are you guys doing over there? Come here. And so Jesus says, no, she doesn't want to come because she's afraid. And so they make it into a joke and they say, well, I suppose we'll have to come out to you. How about we bring a picnic? And that's what they did. <laughs> Perfect love driving out fear and playfully. Playfully, instead of all this intense, like, revival <sighs> Picnic. A picnic. That's so him, right? A picnic. Yeah. Well, thanks for participating, everyone. And for, I mean, you hung in there for, like, what, 12 hours or something? No. Um, and and uh, let's just thank you, Jesus, for, for this gift. Amen. Thank you, Brad. Wasn't that good? Um, really, really good. Just a couple of quick things before we leave. Brad does have a bunch of books, not here, like that he's written, and um, they're all really good. So there's, we've got them up on the screen. Well, they will be up on the screen. Um, so a lot of the content from today is from a more Christ-like God a more Christ-like way and in. Um, but he's got other books. He's got a couple of fantastic kids' books, um, which are really worth buying if you've got kids. And um, I really, you know, I encourage you just to buy them. Probably Book Depository or Amazon is your best bet for getting them. Um, yeah, and digest it and keep digesting it. We have recorded today 
And we did record the long lunch that Brad did some Q&A at yesterday and we will make that available if that's all right with Brad, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll let you know how we do that. So we've got your email addresses from buying tickets so we'll make sure we, you get that and it's all available. Um, so I guess I just want to say thank you for coming. Um, when we invited Brad out, I just, I just wanted to hear him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as we've opened it up, you've all come. And I feel really encouraged by that. And I hope um, that you've been encouraged here today as well. And I think as I've been sitting in these last couple of minutes just thinking, uh, as a pastor, what do I want to say to you? Because I, um, I love you. I love people. I love my church. And uh, today you've all been a part of that. And what I want to say to you is just, just keep going. Just keep being faithful. Uh, when you struggle to have faith, consider that Christ's faithfulness is enough. And keep wrestling and keep questioning and keep digging. And for the stuff today that made your heart sing, follow the sound of that tune. And the stuff today that irritated you and got under your skin, pay attention because the Holy Spirit might have something breaking forth for you. So go in peace. Go with the kindness and the gentleness and the never-ending love of God. Go knowing that beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you have heard some good news today. May you carry that out into the world as bearers of the light and the blessing and the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. Travel safe for those who are traveling back to different places. For those of you who have flown in, you're amazing. Happy flying back. Um, for those of you who are around, maybe we'll see you again. We'll, we'll be in touch. Feel free to get in touch with us if we, you want to know anything. That'd be good. And bless you, Brad, for coming. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.